y'all. It's me, Hillary Duff. You may know me from my starring role in Hannah Montana. Well, hang on to your boots, y'all, because I'm coming back to the Disney Channel with my new sitcom, I Boardy. Every month, I'll be traveling to different destinations around the United States and getting an abortion. Some weeks, I'll be wearing my blonde wig and being a rock star when I'm getting my boardy. But other weeks, I'll have brown hair and I'll be wearing a cowboy hat. I put my legs up in stirrups and let the vacuum suck away. Gonna have an abortion in the USA. Reagan Fox. Reagan Fox. Fox in the city. Fox in the city. F me in the A. And give me a BJ. I knew we should have never let Kathy Lee Gifford onto the Supreme Court. Ooh, I started out kind of hot there. That was a big mistake putting her on the Supreme Court. Her and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Neither should have been appointed on the Supreme Court. That's what you get when you put people with three names on the Supreme Court. Amy Comey Barrett, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Kathy Lee Gifford. Remember when George W. Bush wanted to make his secretary a Supreme Court justice? Harriet Myers, that was her name. She was staff secretary. I'm just reading from the Wikipedia page. The staff secretary is responsible for managing paper flow to the president and circulating documents among senior staff. And although you may not think that she was qualified for that position, she graduated from Southern Methodist University, which I think is where Einstein went to school and got his associate's degree in 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 refrigerator repair. And look at him. He went on to do big things. George Bush was very inspired by that Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana show. He's like, I have the perfect woman. She comes up. She's like, yeah, by day, I'm just a little gal who graduated from Southern Methodist University, and I'm the secretary. But then at other times, I put on another wig, and I'm a Supreme Court justice. Hee-haw! And that's what we have with all of these conservative appointees, like Amy Comey Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, who under oath are like, no, no, no. Roe versus Wade is settled law. But then on other days, I put on my blonde, glittery, conservative rock star wig, and I'm like, hell no, abortion's gotta go. Hee-haw, y'all. <laughs> Uh-oh, I gotta go sing. Got me busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Mm-man. I don't sleep, and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm-man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, meth. Oh, meth. Do you like my voice? Do I sound like a bird? What kind of bird? A, a, a big bird or a small one? A big bird? Oh, that's right. Small one with a slim little waist. I don't always have the clip. I don't always have the Strangers with Candy clip. And when I don't have the clip, then I have to, I have to, I have to perform it. What about my eyes? What about my vagina? Hi, I'm, uh, well, I'm Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Hi. And, uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm the stepdaughter of an alcoholic. Cheers. Bravo. Bravo. And the play opens tomorrow night at 7. And there are plenty of tickets available. I like how she claps for herself there. Well, I just got done eating dinner. I went to Taco Bell. Nobody else? Nobody else is clapping? I'm the only one clapping for that? I don't like it when I tell somebody that 
I'm going to talk about. And they're like, you know, that's not real Mexican food. Oh, I'm sorry. Does it have to be for me to enjoy it? Am I not allowed to enjoy it because it's not authentic? But it is authentic. You're going to try to tell me that a gordita is not authentic Mexican cuisine? I was certain that a taco pizza was an age-old Mexican dish. Are you trying to tell me that in Mexico they don't make taco shells? Out of spicy nacho cheese Dorito chips? What next? You're going to tell me that all restaurants in Mexico don't have a pizza hut attached to them. Authentic. Authentico. I like Taco Bell. I'm a Taco Bell slut. And I will not be Taco Bell slut shamed by you. I'm saying it now. I'm saying it out. I'm saying it loud. I'm saying it proud. I am a Taco Bell slut. And I'm also an actress. And the play opens tomorrow night at 7. And there are plenty of tickets available. Oh, look at what I found. Is there anything that you'd like to say about me that you love? I love all my children, Sycamore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you especially love about me? <laughs> you are a beautiful flower from God. You said that one yesterday. Say something new. Like what? What about my voice? It's very nice. Do I sing like a bird? Sure you do. What kind of bird? A, 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 a big, big bird, bird or a or small, small one? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. Well, maybe this is the wrong place for me. I'm going to go pack my grains and go. A big bird. Big. Small. That's right. That's Tiny right. bird with a slim waist. <laughs> you do care about me. <laughs> Hugs. <laughs> what about my eyes? I, uh, blink, blink, you! blink. Bring the van around. We're going to the mall. What about my vagina? <laughs> I was reading Yahoo News the other day. What are the top five stories that I need to know this right now? This is a freaky dicky story from the headlines. Crazy. 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 Crazy motherfuckers. The Ariana Huffington Post has a story that says Lindsey Graham grovels on Fox News over leaked audio of him <gasps> praising Joe Biden. Faggot. What'd you say? What did you hear? I'd rather not repeat it. Well, then I guess we'll never know. He probably he probably leaked it himself. Le- Mrs. Lady G is probably into torture. She loves that. It's probably like a fucking masochist. Like, oh, it's does that make me a dirty little Republican? Little Republican girl. Yes, Tucker, I am bad. I'm a bad little girl. I need to be spanked. I said all sorts of positive things about Joe Biden. I said that he had good economic policy and that he's a uniter and I need to be spanked with a stick. Here, I'll run go get a belt from you or a switch. That's how my daddy used to hit me. Tucker Carlson. Ow! Ow! You hit me so hard with that switch you almost popped one of my ladybugs. That's what I call the moles that run up and down. My lady taken to my butthole. They're my ladybugs, my little ladybugs, Tucker. And I want you to exterminate them. Because Lady G has been a bad little Republican girl. In political news, NBC News is reporting that the GOP is laughing off Biden's quote-unquote ultra-maga attack, calling it hilarious. Biden evidently won't say the name Donald Trump now, as if he's Voldemort which he kind of is. Instead, he calls him MAGA King, (laughs) 
which I actually think that's really funny. But keep in mind, this is the same group that thinks that Let's Go Brandon is some type of hard-hitting, hilarious put-down. Oh, no, don't call him Brandon. Anything but Brandon. Oh, oh, okay. It's actually like a malapropism for fuck Biden. Oh, real intelligent. I mean, imagine if your side, the best thing that they have going for them in terms of a put-down is something like Atlantis Forever. Do you like my shirt? It says Atlantis Forever. No, no, no. What it really means is like DeSantis never. Get it? But it's like because somebody at the Kentucky Derby misheard it and they thought that that person was saying Atlantis forever. The first rule of comedy is if you have to explain it, it's not very funny. And this MAGA crowd, they just like don't understand that. They they, they are so into the Let's Go Brandon phrase. They have like trucker caps that say Let's Go Brandon. They have muscle shirts. They have Let's Go Brandon on their fucking, the backs of their cars, painted on their faces when they go to sports games. Let's go Brandon Christmas ornaments and fucking keychains. All this energy and effort and commodity that they invest in this stupid phrase and it's not even intelligent or funny. It's like taking a poop and then scooping it out of the toilet and showing it. Look at what I did. I created this. Look at this. I'm going to put it on a shirt. I'm just going to rub some of this feces on my shirt, rub it on my face, rub a little bit on the back bumper of my car. Isn't it great? I made this. I made it. Well, I didn't make it, but somebody else left it in my toilet, and I thought it was real clever. Now, the big news, the big news of the past couple weeks has been the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. And mind you, I say this knowing that Madge Weinstein is going to look down her pointy little nose, her pointy little witch nose at me. But I have been glued to this trial. Okay, let me do my Saturday Night Live stuff on. This trial has everything. A cut-off finger, pirates, an Aquaman, a Joshua Tree trailer palace called Hicksville, MDMA, Adderall, Super pints of red wine, Kate Moss, and Amber Heard shitting in a bed. It is the new New York hotspot. I love one of Johnny Depp's attorneys. Her name is Camille Vasquez. And I know that it should not matter what people look like, but she's beautiful and fierce. She is catnip for gay men. And what makes it even better is that Amber Heard's attorney is like Mrs. Magoo. Amber Heard's attorney literally looks like a mop. Like the dirty mop from McDonald's that they put upside down and next to the trash bin out back. And Amber Heard's attorney can't get one question out before Camille Vasquez is on her Ass. Objection, Your Honor. Leading, lack of foundation, both for lack of foundation in the argument, lack of foundation or base. She's not wearing enough makeup, the opposing counsel. Objection, Your Honor. Calls for speculation and compound. Objection, Your Honor. Lack of foundation, leading, calls for speculation, hearsay, compound question, asked and answered, non-responsive, and vague and ambiguous. <laughs> It reminds me of when I was in middle school. I got this role where I had to play an attorney, and I was so excited to play the attorney because I, I watched L.A. Law even in middle school, and I did these really overdramatic objection, your honor, leading the witness, your honor, objection. So Camille Vasquez is basically allowing to relive my middle school attorney performance wet dream. 
I remember going in front of the jury of my peers, the people who were cast as my jury, and I'd distinguished ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I'm so glad. Lend me your ears. So Camille Vasquez is fabulous. She can do no wrong. So Mrs. Magoo gets like three words into her question and then Camille Vasquez has like a, a laundry list of objections. And then Mrs. Magoo is like, to the judge. My husband fucked me in the ass, got shit in my pussy, and I just fucking broke up with him. Because what else can you say? In health news, monkeypox is sweeping the nation. It's the brand new designer disease sweeping gay men across the nation. I love your bumps and cheetah spots. Thank you, it's monkeypox. I mean, what more can we deal with? Oh, I'm really sick. What do you have? Is it coronavirus? No. That disease is so yesterday. I have fucking tarantula diarrhea and fucking giraffe mono. It's the fucking end of the world. There are so many manifestations of it. I have, I have fucking like vaginal conjunctivitis. It's like pink eye, but on my pussy. It can only be spread via clown on clown contact, sexual contact between clowns. The whole world loves a clown. The whores what? The whores, the whores love clowns. Oh my God, the whole Oh, the entire world. Okay, where we live. I have had three glasses of iced tea, y'all, and it is really strong iced tea, and this must be what it's like to be on crystal meth. Have y'all had an iced tea-induced hallucination before? Me neither, but it's Memorial Day Day. It's Memorial Day weekend. I have no idea what I'm going to do. These holiday weekend sneak up on me like the ghost face killer and scream hello sydney oh fuck it's memorial day weekend again you're back well i guess you come back every year so i'm i might as well face you now let's just get this over with oh hold on y'all Bo wants to come up and sit on my lap this is the first time i've ever done a podcast with my dog sitting on my lap i love my dog so much so much. Well, uh, I have a special treat for all you ladies. I wanted to have a philosophical conversation with you about why I sometimes will podcast and then I run away like I'm being chased by the ghost face killer and hide in a closet and stay in that closet for a year. And I'm like, is it safe to come out? Then I come out and then I do another podcast. And rather than make this some like monologue, I decided to call up my longtime friend, Madge Weinstein, and we had quite a conversation about it, a philosophical conversation. And here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Happy Memorial Day. I have taken a long break from podcasting. And and I I have this tendency to run away from podcasting and then come back and do a bunch of grums and then run away again and false starts and broken promises. I am a Fleetwood Mac song when it comes to podcasting. And today I'm putting this at the end of what will be my most recent grum. I am joined by Madge Weinstein, so we can talk about this. Hi, hi honey. Madge. Oh, hi, honey. Squish hi. sound, squish sound. Mm-hmm. Crooked letter, crooked letter. How have you been doing, Madge? I'm obese. I'm worried about the monkeypox. Because, you know, the um, 
the leather club is coming the international men in leather are you going to go there to the convention i'm trying not to but the problem is my spouse really wants to but the thing is you know i was reading that they closed a a uh, sauna in madrid because of the monkey pox and then they also found like a big vector of these cases came out of some fetish club in Belgium, a gay fetish. Maybe it was a festival. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of clear that probably doing a leather convention is probably not the best idea, but we're just completely, we didn't learn anything from the last pandemic. I mean, I guess it was so long ago. Wasn't it like 1920? Oh no, it was 2020. <laughs> that was only two years ago, but it's and AIDS. And, and AIDS. AIDS, right? That one, <laughs> you know. And it's like, didn't we learn anything? Like, doesn't you would think Biden would want to say, "Hey, I can handle pandemics pretty well." But well, is anyway. there overlay between monkeypox and gayness? Yeah. What What is the connection? Well, there's the the cases seem to be spreading among gay men right now. At least the the early cases, which is now, yeah. Really? I could see uh, a whole yeah. slew of gays who are mm-hmm. like, I have the newest fashion disease mm-hmm. of the season. I have monkeypox, call me cheetah. Well, yeah. the reason the reason why I'm having you on today is to talk about things. A lot of times when we talk, we talk about very concrete and specific things like news events and popular yeah. culture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. and we can do some of that as well uh but i wanted to talk to you about a realization that i had in therapy oh okay that i have blamed you for every person who has ever raped me no uh (laughs) (laughs) it's the cycle of abuse it's the cycle of abuse Yeah, oh, I love that. I love oh, be, be sure to play as many clips as you want because I, I enjoy your clips. I enjoy your clips. So will I put those in my sound file then if I do that? I guess I would I have think, to, right? Oh, uh, well, I guess you don't. What, doesn't it? No, it should come up. It should get, it should. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, chances are we'll be using the audio from. No, I'm not going to let you do this to me, Madge. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to get meta and start talking about the recording. And yeah, okay. So um, you have often said of me that I understand you in a way that a lot of other people don't. Mm -hmm, True. And. And I agree with that. And one of the most recent realizations, which is really what helped aid our uh, friendship on its road to recovery, was you were, I I never stopped listening to your show when um, we had our falling out, because I enjoy you and and I enjoy what you produce and, you, you know. So Thanks. why I, I'm past, I think we may have talked about this a little bit in your podcast, but I am past the age where I'm going to punish myself mm-hmm. if I'm upset with somebody else. You know, uh, maybe I didn't say it to you, but like when, oh, I was saying it to my sister. There was this one time where my dad took me to Manhattan to see my sister and he left early and it meant that I was going to have to fly back on the plane myself. And I was mm-hmm. infuriated with him. I was probably just like 10 years old. And so my father tried to bribe me and he's like, well, I'll get you a new pair of roller skates if you mm-hmm. do it. 
Mm. And I thought, no, I'll show him. I'm not going to accept that gift. And <laughs> it's a little kid's logic where you think, mm. I'll show this person by punishing myself. And of course, okay. it never does. You're the only person who feels that misery. So, um, no, I continued to listen to your show. And there was something that you had said. And it's part of your normal kvetch to be like, why don't I have an audience? My audience <laughs> yeah, should be right. bigger. Mm. And, and, and I responded to you and I said, well, your audience doesn't grow because you don't want to change. You are very hell bent on this is what I do. These are the things I want to talk about. I'm not mm. going to try to be mainstream if I want to talk about shitting and farting right. and, and my pussy matters, then I'm going to mm. do that. And no. I, and, and so I pointed out that, well, okay, that's fine, but that means that you're not going to become mainstream. Um, but I also recognized that that's part of the shtick. It, it is part of being matched oh. to complain about the growth of the audience. Am I, is mm -hmm. what I'm saying correct? How do you Of course it's to correct, it? but it's also true. It's shtick, but it's also it's also true you know what i mean like i'm not i'm not making it up i'm not exaggerating it is how i feel but it is true it's just it's a paradox that's very that i think about constantly because it's it, it's some way like the word the thing i complain about the most about the show is what is what enables me to keep it what it is which is real because if i was worried were was if i was worried about money the incomes if i was making money from it then I would be self-censoring because I'd have to change my content to keep that money coming in. I see that happen with a lot of people, you know, as, and it's not just podcasting. It's like Twitter, it's Facebook when you see, and I think this is part of what makes social media so toxic. And if you look at Twitter, for example, you see a lot of people that have huge audience or huge followings and they'll have to say stuff that pleases the following that pleases the followings, the followers. God, I can't talk. It's been a long day. You know, and so, so for example, if somebody is like, I saw a lot of this with ivermectin. So let's say you you have a lot of fans and they're crazy, right? And they believe in ivermectin as this wonderful cure all, which it, which it, there's no evidence for. You know better. As yes, there is. <laughs> yes, sir. You know better as an intelligent person, but your audience doesn't. And you know that if you say the truth, you will lose a good percentage of her following, like 10, 20%, because they're all indoctrinated. So instead of telling them the truth, you read like Fox, Fox News could never admit the, the big lie. Right. Is, right. is a big lie. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So I think, but because I don't make money from this, and, and it, it, part of it is just being underground, because it truly is underground what I do, that enables me to stay honest, I guess. So I don't know. It's just this weird. I mean, it's all it, it, it's it's this whole paradox is because it's capitalism. You know, that's what makes it the way it works. You know, it, maybe if it wasn't a capitalist system and it was an art based system, then I could say whatever I want and I wouldn't lose audience because I wouldn't need audience to make money. I I'm so confused. I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, well, I. Uh so I'm going to push back on one mm -hmm. of the things that you said about honesty in relation mm -hmm. to me, not in relation to you, because I'll tell you the big epiphany that I had in therapy. I, mm -hmm. 
I had two epiphanies in therapy. The first of which is that some of what I said to you about you is very true about what motivates you to podcast and what your shtick is. And, but then I realized my therapist's name is Monica, by the way, Lewinsky. uh, (laughs) She helps me a lot. Oral therapy. Mm -hmm. I actually, Monica Lewinsky is one of the few people I follow on Twitter. She never responds back to anything I say. So screw her, <laughs> that slut. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love her. And I, I do love how they're, we're in the midst of this like very interesting time culturally where we are reclaiming women that we have done so much cultural damage to like Britney Spears and Monica yeah. Lewinsky. I have to tell you something. Can can I? I don't want to lose it. I know you're in the middle of a. Yeah, no, no, no. It's. I'll be able to circle back to it. So this is some. So I went to my uh, nephew's high school graduation yesterday, and being in academia, you should be able to appreciate this. So, so many things were bizarre about it. I mean, on the surface, the weirdest thing was when the the chorus of like eight or nine girls sang something from Hamilton with masks on. He couldn't understand a word they were saying, but that's not really the point. What happened is my nephew texted my niece who was sitting with us. You know, this is Evanston Township High School. They do everything right. You know, their Black Lives Matters. They're they're extremely well integrated. You know, I don't think they have any I know white is certainly not the majority. They try to be, you know, politically correct as much as possible. They they didn't have a valedictorian speaker. Instead, they had like a contest for the best, you know, speech. And it was this woman, and it wasn't a very good speech, but she she matched the identity. She checked the right boxes because she is a black queer. Oh, it was Chaz Ch- Chaz Diaz from basically, and just like that. Yeah. She checked all the boxes, gave a mediocre speech. She wasn't the valedictorian. And by the way, like more than half the class had a 4.0. It was so weird. But anyway, grade inflation, so much I don't understand. But but my nephew texted my niece saying there was a Nate and, and there was a girl, one of the girls on the stage who's uh, doing the, the choir thing was wearing a hijab. So she's clearly displaying her heritage. And there's a reason I'm saying that. So my nephew said that they just pulled a kid out of the line they said he couldn't go on stage to get his diploma and couldn't even come out on the floor to sit for his diploma because he was wearing a Native American outfit under his robe. And they pulled him out and they didn't let him, they didn't let him participate in graduation because he was wearing some sort of Native American outfit under his robe. And he had some, maybe some uh, Native American thing about on his hat and he is native american it's not a pro- appropriation and i just thought oh, it was so strange well, hold because on. Like, what yeah. i i yeah. was expecting you to say that he was some white guy no who no, was no native no. american yeah i mean it was he's showing his heritage it was just yeah it was he's an indigenous whatever the right word is yeah and the, and I, my nephew even went to the dean at the time like during real time he said what are you going to do about this why are they pulled him out he said so I mean, and this is like, so they're so focused on getting it right for the queers and the blacks. And I love the way I say the blacks, but they're like, and then, oh, but, oh, we, but indigenous, oh, oh, never mind the fact that we just had the like Department of Homeland Security, who was the first indigenous, whatever, find out that 500 kids were murdered because, you know, by schools, you know, we're just gonna like, oh, but, yeah, but that isn't on TV yet. So we're just gonna like, 
I mean, it's just mind blowing, but anyway. Yeah, I, what you're saying resonates with me a lot because I mm -hmm. teach things like critical race theory in most of the classes that I instruct. And uh, the, the largest student population at Cal State Long Beach is Latino, mm -hmm. Latina, Latinx, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. But the way, like the theories that I use to discuss race and ethnicity are so grounded in blackness that mm -hmm. it, it obscures the complexity of discussions of race and yeah. ethnicity. And so if you're only trained to recognize diversity in certain ways, then things like that can happen. Yeah. Did other people find out about it? Is it like a yeah. bigger story now? I don't know what happened since then. I can ask him. I haven't talked to him since, but um, people, a lot of people were upset, but nobody was upset to the point where they didn't, like it was, my, my, my wife was with me and she, she said, oh, this would never happen in Peru. If that happened in Peru, where she's from, that everybody would have just stopped and walked out. So she's like, yeah, everybody, all the kids were complaining, but nobody stopped. Nobody protested to the point of disrupting the, the, the commencement. You know, it was a lot of lip service. Yeah. Well, so much, so much of everything right now is performative. Yes. The, mm -hmm. And the pandemic has really mm -hmm. taught me a lot about that. You know, there's... Mm -hmm. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, so back to therapy. Yeah. So back to Monica. Monica. One of the things that I realized was that there is a degree of projection in what I was saying about you, because I, when I started my show in two thousand five, I believe, mm -hmm. I immediately had a really big audience and in large part because you were already more established and you heard some of my show and played clips from my show on your show. So yeah. I had I had a couple thousand listeners per mm -hmm. episode immediately. And um, very soon thereafter, we were in Out Magazine and Genre Magazine mm -hmm. and, and we had big loyal audiences. Yeah. And after I did Big Brother, that was a really big opportunity for me to really go even further with my podcast. But Big Brother had this, uh, it had the opposite effect on me. I, I had always craved attention. I thought that's how I needed to be validated. That, that attention is how people would affirm that I'm a person worth listening to. And yeah. after I did Big Brother, it was a be careful what you wish for moment. And I thought, oh, no, Pri privacy is actually something that I uh, is very important to me. I don't want a million Facebook friends. I don't want to put all of my life out there. And so the pendulum started swinging in the opposite direction. And so when I have tried to bring my show back and tried to do it more regularly, I always get frustrated because I feel like I'm hitting a wall because my audience will never grow past a couple hundred listens per episode now. And mm -hmm. so I, I have thought, I, like, why is this? You know, and, and I get it in a way because podcasting has turned into something totally new. And right. it, it doesn't matter really how much production I put into it. It doesn't matter. All of that stuff doesn't matter if I don't have the backing of a pretty major media 
company, like an NPR or some type of bigger news service, then there's really not a hook for people to continue to listen. Well, you're not, you're not reporting murder, you know, you're not telling murder stories. You know, you have to talk about murders. And even if I were to tell only murders in the building, have Mm -hmm. you seen that show? No. Oh, you should see it. It's the one with, uh, with, um steve martin and martin short Mm. and they are yeah yeah. i want to see it yeah i want to see it yeah Yeah. uh so okay so oh oh oh, by the way actually now that i'm on here i just want to say something about emphasis Mm -hmm. in titles i think it's very important so i never really understood only murders in the building as a title so what that show was about is they're really into crime podcast and so they decide there's a murder in the building and they're they're like oh this is an opportunity for us to do our podcast and so (laughs) as they're doing it uh because now anybody could be a you know a podcaster just by being a fan you can do it right you can produce material and so martin short's character is like oh no there was a murder in central park and we can go there and or there's also a murder over here and steve martin's character goes no 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 only <laughs> murders in the building oh right okay Makes sense. so i think what you emphasize in the title and another example of this is i was watching watch what happens live and andy cohen had bethany frankel on Mm-hmm. And oh, what is the title of her book? Um, oh, oh yeah, he kept saying, and her new book, business is personal, and uh, business is personal. And I'm like, stop saying it that way. It's clear how you should say it. It should be said, business is personal, <laughs> because because it's the book is obviously a response to it's just business. It's it's not personal. Right. Yeah, so the yeah. so the response that this is okay. I don't anyway. You know, one of my uh, uh, I, I, one of the crime podcasts on Wondery over my dead body is about um, well, a cousins of mine. The murderer was actually well suspected. Well, you know, hold whatever. on, your cousin was a murderer. Well, allegedly, maybe. It's called Over My Dead Body. It's about an attorney named Dan Markell who was killed and his wife was is Wendy Adelson. I mean, my my parents, my niece, they were at their wedding. You know, they, they're pretty, they know them pretty well. Yeah, they're cousins. My mother's his father, her father's dentist. Well, he just retired. And the dentist, like a lot of this so-called murder arrangement happened in the dentist's office. It's very, it's creepy. Okay, I just emailed myself so I can listen to that while I'm walking my dog. I'm very excited. It's so about weird because then anytime there's new testimony, like my sister will send it to us, and it's 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 disturbing. Yeah, but yeah, they're cousins. Uh huh. Yeah. And then okay. Guilty. Yeah. So this the second realization that I had was, mm-hmm. uh, and it's connected to the first realization. Okay. Is that. And this isn't just about podcasting, although I probably feel it the most with Mm -hmm. podcasting, is that I look back at some of the creative stuff that I've done before, and I'm not proud of all of it, but I'm a proud of, really proud of pockets of it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like no matter what I do now, I won't be as good as I once was. So I'm constantly comparing 
what I'm doing now to what I once did. And actually the podcast that I have published now uh, from the recent reincarnation of my show, I think are better than anything I've ever done. But then I look at the numbers and I'm like, oh, it must be that I'm not okay. as good as I once was. So that that puts me in a place of like critical paralysis. I have a question about that. Is Do you think some of that comes from the fact when people will tell you, oh, I remember when you did this. I remember when you, yeah. Is, uh, is this because of feedback or is this purely your own self-criticism? It's, uh, well, it's, I, w- I don't even know that I would call it self-criticism. I would call mm-hmm. it a thinking error okay. where, because c- I, I notice it in my scholarship as well, yeah. where, cause I've written about some really deeply personal things in my life, mm-hmm. like HIV testing and, you know, yeah. just a, a bunch of stuff that typically scholars don't yeah. write about because it's too highly personal okay. and about being sexually abused about, you know, and so, and there's a big poetic element to what I do in my scholarship as well. So mm-hmm. I always am comparing what I'm currently writing to what I have already written that was well-received. And there are times where I feel like, like, I'll give you a great example of this. So there was a time where I went a decade without getting an HIV test. And it was, um, I was probably like 29 years old when I finally decided, okay, I'm gonna do it. And my twenties were my most promiscuous years, right? So that was scary. And so me and one of my very close friends decided to do one of those at-home HIV tests, and he lives in Texas, and um, we sent them off, and I'm writing this piece about HIV testing after a decade of not doing it as I'm going through it. So it was really like my heart in my Mm -hmm. hand as I'm writing. I would be crying tears and So my friend got his results the day before I got mine and it turned out he was positive. Mm -hmm. And that just really like, I had to figure out, okay, oh my gosh, this makes me even more scared for me because- How long had he waited? 10 years I think Yeah, I think around that. Uh I I think around that. And uh, because I thought, okay, we were in our twenties in the same area. If, if if he could get it, I could get it. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. made everything more real to me. But then I felt selfish because I'm like, well, I don't even know what my result is yet. And then I got my result back and I was negative. So I felt mm-hmm. guilty because his was positive. And so I was able to use really poetic writing to get at a lot of these emotions. Right. And, and you can really sense it in the writing. And so there are times where I'll write more poetic scholarship now. And if it doesn't feel like, I'm if I'm not crying or if I'm not as I'm writing, I think, oh, is this really anything? Because I remember feeling so much more in tune with my emotions. Yeah. It almost it, it reminds me of like when um, uh, comics feel like they don't want to be medicated because they're able to tap into something when mm-hmm. they're more mentally ill compared right. to when they're balanced. Yeah. Well, I'm just asking because I get a lot of stuff where people will always say, oh, I really, I, I loved your show much more when you had Cheryl on and you did this and you yelled at Andy Melton for being fat. And, all. and I always, I, I thought maybe it was that sort of thing where, you, you know, you're there, that it's really relates from to feedback that you're getting. It doesn't sound like that's the case. I, I've gotten pretty good at though. I, I always just say, 
the podcast has to please me. If I think it's funny, if I like listening to it, then it's a success. And I know like anytime I have a new person on, like they like people hated Cheryl when I first had her on. They really hated her. In fact, I had a warning. I still have it. You look at some old episodes where she first came on. I had to put a warning. Somebody made a sticker <laughs> that said, warning contains Cheryl. Like because people, <laughs> and then I got the same thing with like Tampon Tammy, the same thing with Hagatha. And then they figure it, then people figure out what it is that, that I like about them and then they like it. So, but I've so already, here, yeah. Here is my, um, Here's what it is. Here's what it is for me. So okay. Fox in the City has always had a, it's always been very fast paced, very produced, mm-hmm. very set up, joke, boom, move on. Yes. Set up, joke, boom, move on. That's and right. so you know how you were saying when we first started talking today about how you feel um, some people have to censor when their audience grows. Absolutely. So for me, here's what censors me. Mm-hmm. I admire you so much because you can go on your show and you can just talk about what's happening in your life. Here's my problem when I compare myself from the past to where I am now. I don't have, or a thinking error pops up where I think if I just talk in a podcast and I don't have the constant joke, 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 that what I'm saying is not worth producing and not worth putting out there. Uh That people expect a certain thing when they come to my show. And if I can't live up to that, then what am I doing? And, but, but, but then I said to my therapist, I'm like, but I, if I'm only getting like 200 listens, per episode, what, what difference does it make? But 200 is still a lot. You have to look at it that way too, don't you? Don't you have to think about like, what if your class, I don't know how big your classes are. How big are your classes? Um, yeah, I mean, 200 is, if I were doing a live performance and 200 yeah, people showed up, I would be, and I'm grateful for those 200 people. Right. So I don't want to make it seem like yeah. I, yeah. I, I, my audience is great, but I use the metaphor of uh, sculpturing clay and and comparing that to podcasting. And I find you much more willing to sit down with a lump of clay and to just mold something in the moment. Whereas I feel like I have to prepare, I have to download the shit, I have to edit out stuff when it's not going quick enough and that and that to me i'm not able to really explore podcasting as art anymore because everything is so formulaic with what i do in this medium yeah oh that's interesting because to me that's i mean it's the grass is greener thing because to me that's just better i always thought your show was better than mine because it was so well produced i was just too lazy to do that shit you know, my, I mean, sometimes I'll try to produce, but it's usually, and it just ends up being a pile of mush and I pretend it's art. It's not, it's just garbage that I'm too lazy to edit. But I enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I listen to it. I, mm. I never miss an episode and, and there is, I think it takes a certain type of confidence in perspective to go yeah. up there. And I guess the more global point that I want to make is- Well, you that, like what you're not, maybe you're like what, you aren't as good at i like what i am not as good at which is what you do I and mean, it's just normal i think it's a normal for an artist to 
you know, I, I admire painters. I can't paint. I admire things that I can't really do that well, I think. But I feel like I would be able to podcast more often if I wasn't so, if I didn't let the thinking error of, I have to have a setup joke, highly produced, I would produce more. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because I like those produced shows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but you got to please. I mean, what are you doing it for? I guess is the real question. Are you doing it to produce, that's, to please yourself I, or the audience? And that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. That is what I'm trying to figure out. And that's why I was having the conversation with my therapist where I was mm -hmm. like, if I do it for the, because I've, I've tried in the past, mm -hmm. like when I brought back this show, I tr I did some more old school episodes and I would label them as Dutch I, in the comments or in the description. I'd say this is a more old school episode. And then I'd have other episodes that were more experimental. But then when I would go back and listen to them, I'd be like, oh, I just want to listen to the ones that are the more old school episodes. But I feel like maybe I'm projecting my own shit onto mm -hmm. other people and I should just do what I want to do. Yeah, you should because you're not making that much money off it. You don't have that big an audience. I don't. I don't make any have money. A job. And yeah, and you have a job that you you have a J. You, you have a career, so you have to ask yourself what you're doing it for. And if it's for you, which I suspect it is, then just do whatever you enjoy, even if it's even if it's maybe you think it's not going to be as popular because who gives a shit? Yeah, maybe I need to go through just like an experimental phase where yeah. I just allow myself to do right whatever i'm feeling in any given moment and that's that helps me a lot i mean you write all the time so you don't have the same i'm sure sort of realization but for me like writing helped a lot because it and i'm not really doing any more because i don't have time but i was doing like an hour or two of writing every day at the coffee shop and putting in my sub stack and that was really helpful because it sort of well, the, the most interesting thing about it, to be honest, was I used to do morning pages like two, 20 years ago, really before I started podcasting. And I still have a lot of them. And you were supposed to throw them away, but I didn't. You know, the, the artist way shit where you just write for a half hour. You know that thing, right? Oh, just, yeah. The right garbage. for. So it was all stream of consciousness. And what I realized is that after podcasting for 15 years, when I write, it actually makes a lot more sense. Then when you know the all this babbling has helped me write better it's kind mm -hmm. of interesting and then the writing helps me also formulate ideas better for the show um mm -hmm. it's just i don't know i don't know why i do it either i mean my audience is so tiny no nothing like what i used to have back in the day either and i just it's just there's 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 just so many podcasts out there and the audience just only has so much bandwidth and most people they want to hear that crap you know they listen to the daily they listen to like i mean lex friedman is like four fucking hours i mean how much time left is there and joe rogan all that garbage how much time is there left for us i don't know there's it's just the audience is smaller but i always thought the best thing about not the best thing but a, a nice feature of podcasting is it allows you to find people who do understand you in a certain way that it's mm -hmm. not easy to find in real life. Like although there's only like a few people that are in like my telegram group, but they understand me in a way because they're just sort of similar. I don't know, just it's nice to find people that you don't have to explain yourself to and you can be crass to and I mean, I don't, I don't know what the fuck. No, um, I know what you're talking about. I was just this weekend I got really into jackass again. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, 
Jackass 4.5 was on Netflix, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend. And then I watched Jackass Forever. I rented that. <laughs> and then I watched Jackass 3.5 last night. And I've already seen all the others. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's so cool to see. I, first of all, I really like them. Uh, I, mm-hmm. What they do is very intriguing to me. I love the scatology of it or their obsession yeah. with feces and urine. There's a very Cheryl quality to them. There's yeah. very homoerotic. I've never seen more penis mm. on celluloid than I did in Jackass Forever. And, but w- what's great about them is they're this community of guys who really just implicitly understand one another. There's a right. sense of co- community mm-hmm. there. And we can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not at, not in the same way, but you take something that uh, is a little off the wall, the stuff that you know you're not supposed to revel in, like they do in Jackass, and then you do, like they did. <laughs> they did this one bit where they loaded up with enemas and then did long jump competition. So oh basically, God. whatever they, <laughs> their feet would hit the ground Mom after duty. the jump, it was like explosive doo doo. It was so. It was so, brown. It, like oh yeah. It wasn't like gay gay guy anima where they clean. No, oh. no, it was. It all mm. came out. It wasn't like mm. oh let me poop and then do the be, anima. It was. That'd anima. be good on Big Brother as a challenge or whatever. Or duty, I think so too. The anima okay. challenge, starring Rachel. <laughs> oh my god you guys totally <laughs> who wants to see my hoh doo-doo <laughs> so what what do you think about since i have you what are mm-hmm. some of the things that you're obsessed with right now in the news oh in the news i was gonna say obsessed with microphones oh in the news well it's it's this monkey pox yeah, it's the monkey pox. I have monkey. really not been that into yeah. monkey pox. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, Somebody showed me a meme yesterday, and I don't even remember the meme. It was like, basically, the idea, the gist was, oh, here you go. You believed, if you believed the, um, you know, the CDC about COVID, then follow this sign, which is monkey pox. You know, it's basically saying, oh, are you going to be this dumb and fall, fall for another fake disease? And the idea is like, why do memes have so much fucking power over people? Like, oh, so some cartoon made by a nine-year-old is supposed to, because it's a picture with some stuff representing other stuff that that somehow is meaningful. It's just weird. I wonder if Madison yeah. Cawthorn will get monkeypox. I'm probably probably. Did you see the paralyzed? Did you see the videos of him? So gross. It turned me out. I used to think he was really hot, and then when I saw the video, was him with his bare ass face fucking that guy. And it's like, he had this weird ass hair. And I just, it wasn't the same. I just didn't, I was done with him. And then he lost his, his seat. There's now a house ethics yes, committee investigation against him, I suppose. You know, here's the thing. This is what I'm thinking about today is insurrection, right? We had one, but I keep thinking about the other insurrection, which isn't an insurrection by any, it's not an insurrection. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what you call it, but like the the centrist Democrats, the DNC, the neoliberals, whatever you want to call them, they destroyed Bernie. That was very undemocratic the way they just cut him out 
of the primaries when he was fucking winning. Yeah. They cut him out. They had this, you know, supposedly Obama was behind it. And he, I don't know what the details are. I haven't really read the, the, the scoop. I wish there were books about it. I don't know. Maybe there are, I'll, you know, where they all pulled out all the, all the other, you know, the Buttigieg, what's her face, the bab, blab, blabbermouth from Minnesota pulled out and there was somebody else and they just oh, focused Klobuchar. On, yeah. And then there were, but there was another a centrist who got out at the same time and they just, was it? Yeah. But Warren stayed in so she could absorb, take away Bernie's votes. And they just, it was just such a strategic destruction of Bernie's candidacy. And it really, and what made me think about it was today, just an hour ago, I was listening to Democracy Now! I only caught the headlines. And she was talking about how the, the, the Green Party made a huge uh, victory in Australia. That they beat, you know, they've had 10 years or more of conservative rule in Australia. Mm-hmm. And the Green Party just swept in because of climate change and all these con- progressive issues. And I was thinking, you know what? That should have fucking happened here in 2020, but they fucked us. And I don't know, that's not an insurrection. Nobody invaded a capital, but that was very, very undemocratic. We only yeah. have two parties here. And if you're going to just hijack one party, that's fucking undemocratic. So I don't know what you call it, but yeah, I don't know. It feels coolish to me and it feels undemocratic and it makes me feel really terrible. And, you know, it, so far I always vote, well, I usually vote for Democrats. The only time I didn't was when I voted uh, against Clinton in his second term because I was pissed that he fired the Surgeon General because she wanted to give out condoms. And he bent to right-wing pressure for that. But I think I've always voted. I always, in the end, I I pull, toe the party line. And I, 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 you know, and I vote for the Democrat. And I'm not sure if I'll be able to do it this time. I'm not sure. Because it's such fucking bullshit the way they screwed Bernie. And plus, they're just not doing anything. Well, we yeah. really need a more of a spectrum of parties mm-hmm. like i i wish that we had a four-party system because i would like to see a conservative party that is that focuses on economics and not social issues mm-hmm. and i would like to see a progressive party that that is more democrat socialist like democratic socialists like bernie sanders Mm-hmm. And b- because the way things are now, you can, if you are a, if you are a Bernie Sanders, if you are a Kinsinger, if you, who's I think a more yeah. like what you would typically think of as a Republican, um, mm-hmm. who, who isn't all that invested in social issues and is more about like no conservative economic principles. There's. Mm-hmm you're demonized in both parties. You're a dino or you're a rhino. And, and now people are only speaking to their base. Um, So isn't, isn't this a good time to split parties because both parties could split and then you wouldn't, you can't really complain, you know, that one is going to lose because if you, if they both split, it should be fair. Right. Yeah. We need to just completely revisit the system. I'm, I, I'm, this guy is, a Democrat um, on paper, but there's Who? a guy, I think his name is Rick Caruso, who's running for mayor of Los Angeles. He was an independent. He was first a Republican, then an independent, and then a Democrat. But I think that's just tr- political maneuvering because a Republican is not going to be uh, voted in as mayor um, in, in Los Angeles. Fair, yeah. But he's he's basically he's kind of like a Trump figure, although he has more credibility than Trump. He is a built, you know, 
billionaire real estate developer. If you've heard of uh, The Grove, the outdoor mm-hmm. shopping center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he is the person who built The Grove. He, um, he has spent a ton of money, like outspent every other mayoral candidate. And he's mm-hmm. the other like legitimate or people who have a chance of winning are more what you would typically think of as progressives. And, but I'm, I'm going to vote for Caruso, I think. And it's difficult for me because my inclination is to always go with the more progressive person. But I have said that I'm going to go for the candidates who are the most hardline against crime in this election cycle. And what, what is really just destroying me with this is that evidently the data suggests that crime is not particularly high from a historical standpoint in Los Angeles, that these are more conservative talking points to make people more afraid of California. Um, I can only speak anecdotally, which Mm -hmm. I did when I came on to your show, which if you haven't heard that episode, audience, you should listen to that episode. Um, But anecdotally, I can say in the 16 going on 17 years that I've lived in Los Angeles, I have noticed the nature of crime change. I've noticed, I've seen a lot more crime and lawlessness. I, and so is it- Yeah, it's the same here in Chicago. It's the same. Is it 1992 levels? No, it's not, but it's in a way that is more noticeable to me. Well, I think some, what I see happening is basically and God, who cares? See, this is why it's good. It's a podcast because I can be as politically correct. I can just tell you what I think. In I don't know about LA. I just know about Chicago. And what's happening here appears to be, now maybe the crime levels are, actually they have been going down, but the murders are, it's like we had like 42 shootings in in May so far. It's not I mean, Chicago's the worst. Right. Okay. Chicago's the worst. But, but it's still a little better than it was last year. So we're still doing better, even though there's still tons of murder. But the thing is, the crime is the location of the crime is changing. It used to be just in the ghetto, just in the black neighborhoods and maybe some of the Mexican neighborhoods. But now they're in the white areas. And that's why it's like, oh, my God, now crime is bad because it's coming to us. I, I, that's the difference, as I see it. It's just there. I think and part of that is maybe from BLM. I'm not sure. Maybe they're just like because like I I went to a lot of the BLM marches and what happened right around right at that time. And I videotaped recorded a lot of this stuff is like the, the, the black kids from the south side. They were like inspired by BLM and they just decided to like every weekend they still do it. They come up to and they come up to Halstead and they just take over the street. Like on Saturday night, 2 a.m., I, I videotaped it, I video. They will like, these kids will come and they just like invade the whole street. They will stop cars. They literally stop traffic. The cops come. They have to stop traffic for them. They put up these giant, like, I don't know, t- video camera things for, attached to the cops. And then I've seen, and I have, a, I put it on YouTube. It got, it went viral. I was like a bunch of kids that actually started twerking on top of a police car they, <laughs> while the cops were in it. And they're just twerking and sick. And they're just, they're sort of inspired to kind of take over. And the same thing happened, has been happening like downtown in Millennium Park where they have the bean. Somebody got shot in the bean last week. And if you watch the video and they'll never report it, they'll never tell you, you just have to see that it's just hundreds, if not thousands of black kids from the South side. And instead of staying in their neighborhood, you know, they're, they're like, I think they feel inspired somehow to come to and reclaim the city that is really theirs too. So it's, 
interesting to say the least huh. <laughs> i don't know what it is but it's uh yeah i i for me like chicago you have to as far as how you're voting you're like chicago has been a, a democratic city for probably a hundred years i think since the 30s or something it's just controlled by the mob it's awful and even though like i hate republicans i would totally vote for republican just to stop the chain of, you know, just the system is so strong. I mean, we had this guy Madigan running the, the Illinois House of uh, Representatives for decades, and he's he's going to go to jail. He's a fucking criminal. And he's a Democrat. You know, like the system of, you know, just because Democrats are for social issues doesn't mean we're not criminals, too. Well, you and know, you, need, you yeah. need checks and balances anytime. Right. It's not healthy for a state or a city to be run only by one party. You have no. to be held accountable. No. Like, here's, a, here's another issue where, again, I feel conflicted over, but mm -hmm. the homelessness in Los Angeles is really out of control. And I know I'm not saying anything yeah. unique here, but I mean, I see it all the time, all the time, everywhere. I've noticed a huge uptick and homelessness. Yeah. And I, I understand it's a very complicated problem, but I look at these homeless encampments, which are not safe for a variety yeah. of reasons. And I'm not just talking about to the people in the neighborhoods where yeah. the encampments are, which are, by the way, just about every neighborhood now, yeah. uh, but also for the people living in the encampments, you know, they're living in their own filth, you know, yeah. they're peeing right next to their tents, def defecating right next to their tents. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not healthy. And we had, again, a, a conversation similar to this on your show where mm -hmm. uh, Caruso's plan is, okay, <laughs> he, um, he looked at some of the stuff happening on the border and he was like, look, I understand that there have been problems with it, but it shows you what you can accomplish in a very short amount of time, just building an infrastructure to put people in um, and, and then iron out problems after that. And so his plan is to say that if he wants to build that infrastructure and he's a builder. Wait a second, like, uh, public, like private prisons, like where they put the immigrants? I mean, I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, I mean, that's what he's using as his model, Yikes. which which again, I find problematic. But yeah. on the other side of it, I yeah. also find it problematic letting people, I do giving too. people the agency to stay on the street because they don't want they don't want to go to available beds mm -hmm. because if you go to a shelter, there's no drug use. There are rules. There are regulations mm -hmm. that a lot of homeless people don't want to follow. And, and so he's taking a more hardline stance yeah. and saying that, no, if there's a bed available and the police tell you, you have to move to this bed. Sure. I think that's great. The, th the thing I have an issue with is the privatization and I don't, I think the privatization of these types of prisons and is, is a very, very bad thing. Like, I think like the government should maintain prisons and detention centers and whatever you call it. I think it'd be a much better situation. But yeah, I, can, I stayed in um, Venice beach last, uh, just over a year ago, I went to Venice beach and I thought, Oh, cause it was the only place where I could afford to stay by the beach. I knew that there were those encampments, but see, 
I, coming from the 80s and being like a sort of borderline deadhead, I thought it'd be like that. I thought it'd be like, oh, a bunch of cool hippies hanging out and dancing to dead music and maybe taking psychedelics. It wasn't like that. It was a bunch of scary, sad, mentally ill people and alcoholics and dangerous, violent drug addicts fighting. It was like jail. It was like what I would imagine jail to be like turf battles in the middle of the night, people fighting. It was dark. Yeah, Just I mean, dark. And, very and what dark. I remember Muscle Beach was probably, you know, 20 years ago. Muscle Beach was now just people selling crack. It's it awful. So scary. And I thought, wow, I am so foolish because I just thought, oh, it's homelessness. It's cool. It's just hippies. No, it's not the 60s. It's not that at all. It's sad. It's neglect. And part of it is, I think, when, you know, Reagan came in and decided that, you know, um, you know, being an alcoholic being a drug addict is not something that gets disability anymore. So you're just, if you're a drug addict, you're an alcoholic, you're just, you don't get shit. It's your own fault and you just have to be homeless and you're fending for yourself. And that those aren't the ideal types of people you want to be on the street. I, I, I fault Reagan for the, for that. And uh, not you, the other Reagan and, um, and Clinton for progressing that you know, but yeah, welfare reform, and it's just awful. I'd love to see that cleaned up, but I'd like to see it done by the government and not privatized. I, I agree with that. Uh, but the problem, of course, is that the people who are most inclined to clean it up are also the people who are most inclined to want to privatize things like that. And that is scary to me. And I, I understand it's a very complicated issue. Like he's running mm -hmm. against this woman who is, I think, pretty much the front runner um, mm -hmm. And her last name is Bass, I think. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, you can't, it, it's very dangerous to criminalize homelessness. I shared this with you mm -hmm. before as well. Like if, so he wants to have like a three strike policy where you go to the person three times and tell them that they have to move to a bed and they can't stay on the street. And the third time, then it becomes a criminal matter. And she said, well, so many, look at the number of homeless people who are, are mentally ill and you're trying to use logic with a mentally ill person. Like, okay, you have to, this is your third shot. That doesn't mean anything to somebody who's hearing voices so or hallucinates. That's the problem. You never yeah. hear any type of viable you can't leave them on the street. If you go to if you go to Europe, you very seldom. I mean, in France, you'll see them. In in Paris, when you see homeless people, they always have pets, and the reason is because they do force people into. They shelter. eat them. No, I'm <laughs> but they don't allow pets. So if you don't want to be forced into a shelter, you have to have a pet, which is why you see homeless people always have cats or dogs. It's the only way to not because they force you. And if you go to any any other place other than France, you don't see homelessness at all. I mean, maybe it's changed, um, but we have a unique problem here, but like how you can't just say, you can't offer no solution. Well, I mean, I agree are that. you saying that in Los Angeles, they have beds? Like what percentage of how many beds do they have that are empty because that so could be filled with homeless I, people? I used to know this number. I suppose mm -hmm. I could look it up. Actually, while I'm talking to you, will you look up um, homeless beds versus homeless people? So I have heard that there are a lot more homeless people than there are available beds and shelters. Um, and so there is a problem with the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. However, even if that weren't the problem, homeless people don't want to go to shelters for the reasons why I outlined before. And well, that, to me, I don't care. They should be forced. And that's 
sorry you have to force them that's I, the way i feel too yeah, yeah, and, and and so i'm i'm battling this this yeah. inclination that i often have this you know it's like a progressive reflex i guess i would it's not say. progressive though because a progressive reflex would be consistent with doing that because you take care of people that's why we had to wear masks that's why we were for ma mandates that's why we we're for vaccination because we were for health you know taking care of people that's what progressives do by yeah. leaving a homeless person on the street you're not taking care of them you're doing you're really doing what the freedom people do oh freedom is all that matters no it's a it's an inconsistency in thought to me to be yeah. to have that or idea well, how, well you look at like um people who are schizophrenic for example mm -hmm. for example who don't want to take their medication mm -hmm. and so they really need to be in a highly structured environment yeah. And if they are, if they can't make decisions for themselves, then they could be embedded in some place that right. has, that can do this for them. And but, I that would record, but that's what Reagan stopped though. See, that's the thing. That's part of the problem. It's not just putting them in a bed. Yeah, they're schizophrenic, but like they really need to be institutionalized, but we've taken that away from them. So what do you do with them? You just have police grabbing them every day and throwing them in. Well, and yeah, so my, awful. so then I would, I would flip the question to. then. The New York Times, I believe, did a really interesting investigation of states where and cities where mm -hmm. the government, all three branches of the government are basically run by Democrats. Mm -hmm. And basically what they showed was that in these places, stuff doesn't get done, but they don't have the excuse of we'll blame the Republicans the way that we can yeah do that now right and mm -hmm. so you say well reagan did this but i'm living in los angeles so why hasn't anybody who's a democrat come up and said okay we need these institutions in place in order to take care of this problem and mm -hmm. meanwhile gavin newsom is talking about this like multi-billion dollar uh what do you call it when you have more money surplus budget surplus and i'm thinking how do you have this huge budget surplus in a year where you were recalled as governor like that was put to a vote and mm -hmm. the number one problem that people have and it's like an international story is how bad homelessness is in your state like i don't get it yeah i don't either it's all fucked up i was talking i think on my last show too about my friend Nicole, who lives in LA, and she's she's calling me for you know she's thinking of moving back here <laughs> from LA. She's like, oh, she has two kids. She's like, I just can't afford to live here. We're running out of water, and everything's on fire. Yeah, and, I believe me, I would move out of Los Angeles in a heartbeat if I could find a job somewhere else. But then you have people like Bill Maher who just exaggerate all the time. Like every single week, he tells the same story about the Walgreens, where you can just take whatever you want. You know, and then he, you know, I, I don't know that that helps. I have not seen. Yeah. I mean, I've seen stuff like that on videos. Those videos get passed around. Well, they, they lock up the preparation H. Like I noticed that today, not for any particular reason. But they lock um, up the no, preparation H. Hold, hold on, on, hold on. No, 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 no. We're not going <laughs> to cross past that. Not for any particular reason. I don't have. I don't have hemorrhoids. I no. know you were going with that. I don't have hemorrhoids. I was just so happy. I was just look. But they don't like, how can you lock up preparation H? Like anybody who needs preparation H should be able to steal it if they don't have fucking money. 
and they should have like a special government fund to refill the preparation H if it gets stolen. Like, it's kind of weird, right? If you think about it, like, how can you lock up hemorrhoid cream? Like, if you're going to let, I mean, if there's one thing people should be able to steal, it's hemorrhoid cream, right? I mean, isn't that awful? How can you even like lock up the hemorrhoid cream? It's awful. And who's going to ask for it? Oh, oh, Katisha, I need to, can you unlock this hemorrhoid cream for me? And they don't even have a special button. You know, sometimes it has the button to like press here for help. They don't have a button by the hemorrhoid cream. You just got to scream. Can somebody give me my hemorrhoid cream? What did, what name did you give her? I think I said um, Ethel. Okay. I must've misheard. I thought you said Katisha. I never would have said something that that's racial. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Madge, Madge. Not like that. Uh, well, you know, I use preparation H and not for my eyes. I do have anal itch. Congratulations. I thought it was for uh, hemorrhoids. That anal itch is a different thing, isn't it? No. Well, I mean, I use it for maybe my anal itch. Is a itch? I don't bleed down there, but I think I'm past my period age. Have you still not had sex? I haven't had sex in eight years. Oh my God. So I saw this, uh, this thing, a picture, a meme thing of this a female to male transgender person with a bunch of blood on his vagina area or penis area whatever crotch in a park sitting on a park bench holding a sign that said not only women have periods right made sense yeah. but uh, then my response was yeah but apparently only women have tampons because otherwise you wouldn't be bleeding over the park bench right <laughs> well i think that's the point i remember i one of so yeah. I have students who do these gender advertisements when I teach gender and communication, where yeah. they had to pick some type of like gender related issue and then they create an advertisement. Oh, so this is you. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's probably one of your students. <laughs> and so I, one of my students did a, a, an advertisement about women basically getting, um, period cotton what do you call it what do you call that stuff maxi pads tampons but there's a whole name for it women's feminine hygiene feminine hygiene products mm. thank Product. you products. feminine hygiene pro products product uh in the hands of people who need them you know mm. like like uh, homeless women for instance or women in prison like these are not yeah th these are things that should be readily available mm -hmm. and so i and uh, she did this beautiful print advertisement and so mm -hmm. whenever somebody does something really great i'll post it on my facebook and show my friends like look at this look at my amazingly talented student and so um one of my friends who is also a, a scholar in my discipline said not only women have periods and I went, oh. <laughs> okay. Pregnant people. Like, I get it. I get it. I get mm -hmm. it. If you are, if you are a trans man, mm -hmm. you will continue to have a period, right? But must we always, can, can we not just appreciate like, oh, mm -hmm. here's this, here's mm -hmm. a student or not, th this wasn't even humor. This was just like a student who is in an introductory undergraduate level class who's just getting the nuts and bolts of critical theory and thinking about gender as a social construct. 
do we have to hold this student accountable to everything? See, I all all periods know. matter. The thing that, is for me, like I learned about this concept in business school called management by exception. And this whole trans thing reminds me of it. And I, at the same time, I have to have a big disclaimer, which is that I don't like having too much of this type of discussion lately. I, I've sort of changed my mind on this because I think it's a huge distraction. I think by, by showing the ridiculous, uh, by discussing this in some way, I feel like we're buying into the culture war and I don't want to. I don't think any of this is that big a deal. In other words, but it's fun to talk about but I don't think it's that big a deal, but I think Republicans make it in a, a reason to, to vote for Republicans. You know what I mean? Like, I think they use it the same way they use abortion as a way to get them to vote for GOP, even though all they care, you know, they're just supporting, uh, you know, the rich people. But, but liberals, all, but progressives also use it as a lit, uh, like an ideological litmus test. Yeah, yeah, I know that it's fucked up. But so the thing is, is that, and then I forgot the fuck what I was going to say. Shit. It was about good. trans, 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 trans I don't know. I need to back up. It was good. Damn it. A good thing you produce. At least you'll be able to erase it. Well, what the fuck was I talking about? So you're talking about the student mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and then the person. Oh, was... management by exception. Okay. See, I see my stream. We're all people. We're right. middle aged so management ladies. by exception is like when you have like um, in a hospital, let's say, for example, like maybe one and a one half of one percent of of people that come in might have a you know a certain fungus Abortion. that isn't that contagious right so you're not going to test for it because it's not that important but it still happens right. so but you don't like create you wouldn't create an infection control procedure for this one inoculus or uh, in, you know fungus because it's statistically almost irrelevant you know, so you kind of you don't do that because if you manage by exception, then you you cloud the way you're, you're you can't operate efficiently because you're just going to like, you know, or writing computer software based on the one edge case is what programmers call it. Like this weird thing, like what if I press this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then the software won't work. Well, that's an edge case. It's very rare. So you pretty much just ignore it. You know, worry about it. Let them call tech support. And to me, the whole trans issue is management by exception in a way, because like by having to call by having to change the term of mothers to womb holders or whatever they call them, or, you know, instead of, you can't say pregnant women, you have to say pregnant people because in the very, very tiny statistically insignificant percentage of, of pregnant people are in fact, trans men, you don't really need to change your whole language because of the statistical anomaly, because that's management by exception. That's, that's all. I think it's similar. I get what you're saying. I oh, I lost your audio. Uh, hang on, hang on. Sorry. This is my fault. Your audio is fine. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What'd you okay. say? Okay. I uh like I acknowledge that there yeah. are, as I said, trans men who have periods who menstruate sure. or trans trans men mm -hmm. who can give birth, right? But I don't I, and I acknowledge that reality and I celebrate that reality, mm -hmm. but I also don't think that we have to get rid of the word mother. Right. And the, uh, another because what example. Are you not, what are you taking away from women and their struggles by doing that? You know, it's in some way it's 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 people have argued that it's sexist and that's what the turfs do. They argue that it's sexist. And right. I think it's some like this is like like they're what you're saying is sounds a little bit like J.K. Rowling and yeah. the problems that people have with J.K. Rowling. But 
And I don't agree with J.K. Rowling, everything that J.K. Rowling is saying, but I don't disagree with all of it either. I do think that for most people in Western culture, that there is a history and an embodiment of uh, being female that should not exclude trans women, let's say, just go with this example, but that trans women do not completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That, that, That doesn't completely overlap with trans women. Yeah. That there, there can be mutually reinforcing realities between these two groups that are also discrete in a way. Um, a, another example of this, I think there's a guy in my field who we got our PhD together. His name is Dusty Goltz. He actually lives in your city and teaches at DePaul University. And what does he teach? My niece goes there. Uh, in the communication studies department. And he does performance studies. He's a performance artist Mm -hmm. as well. In fact, um, there was a lot of controversy. He um, joined the Mormon church when he was a teenager and Mm -hmm. kind of just doing some soul searching, but then he had to figure out, okay, well, I'm gay and but now I'm trying to be Mormon. And so he had a show called Banging the Bishop, which chronicled that point in his life. He's not a Mormon anymore. And there's a huge Mormon population at ASU. And they, um, a group of them protested a show and got it shut down for an entire academic year. And they were trying to say that, quote unquote, banging the bishop, that title is the same thing as like a gay bashing, because you're saying that you want to beat up a bishop of the church, not recognizing that banging the bishop is a euphemism for masturbation. And he's a, oh. he's, he's a very interesting uh, performance artist yeah. um, and monologuist. But he, um, in one of his performances, he was talking about being at a bar and people pick up on the fact that he's gay and they're homophobic. And he's just basically chronicling this encounter at the bar and how scared he was. And he's a white gay guy. And there were two scholars of color who were responding to the performance and are like, you're centering whiteness here. You're centering whiteness. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm white. And I'm talking about something that happened to me. And so he ended up writing this really interesting essay called, um, oh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but um, he looks at basically how there are times where you can use critical theory to shut down an important conversation, an important contribution, Mm -hmm. like his he shouldn't have to account for, you know, intersectional oppressions that don't immediately relate to the story that he's telling. And when you ask him to do that and negate his, or diminish his experience because it doesn't, then think about like how you're censoring him and censoring other people. Yeah, you know, I think it's become the weird thing is like I feel like I'm becoming so used to this weirdness that it's I'm starting to not see the problem anymore. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting too used to it. Like 
maybe two years ago, I was much more critical of all this. And now I'm just like, just a bunch of noise. I don't know. Everybody's so fucking ridiculous. But then I see like, I see both sides of it. You know, I see like, I see people overreacting on the left. So I don't even know who the left is anymore. And then I see people using that overreaction on the right to score points. So I'm afraid to call attention to it myself because I feel like I'm helping the people on the right. But but there is some validity to it. But you're in the edu- you're in education. You know, I only hear about these things. Like basically, like is all that stuff true that they've been talking about? That our kids really as crazy as like Bill Maher says. I don't know if you watch him. But he's no, always I don't watch along. him anymore. Okay, because he's always he always yeah he doesn't have kids. He's always bringing. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't he doesn't have a wife. He never wants to get married. Fine, but he's always at the same time he's always preaching about kids and how people should raise their kids and how you know that it's wrong to do you know to have peri- uh, period blockers or whatever the puberty blockers and all this shit. But he's always talking about how like kids are completely in college. They they shut everything down and you can't have open. Um, oh, that's not. Person. That has not been my experience okay. whatsoever. I, I find uh, students in my classes, at least, mm-hmm. to be very open to alternative standpoints. And mm-hmm. and e- even when I taught at more conservative universities like Arizona State and at University of Texas, everybody was really, from what I saw, respectful. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. always taught at super liberal institutions. Your, your students are normal student age i mean they're not like old students yeah i mean one of the things and this is what i find so hilarious about conservative Mm -hmm. critiques of academia is that college is one of the places that teaches you how to behave when you're engaging in a debate with somebody who doesn't ideologically line up with your beliefs that you can listen to somebody and go okay that's interesting now i think it becomes a little bit more problematic if you know, you, you can't say, I don't believe that gay people should have rights. That's just a difference of opinion. No, it's not a difference of opinion if the two of us walk away and you have more rights than I do, right? Mm-hmm. That's that there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things, to issues that I think are more, um, more up for like debate in mm-hmm. terms of ideology, I find students to be very respectful and mindful. Oh, and and so let, is it fake? Me... Is all this stuff fake about shouting down? Because a lot of it is about when they have, I, maybe it just all comes from when Milo Yiannopoulos comes or, you know, some very divisive figure comes that will protest them. At, yeah, you know. I, I, I think that, that there comes, I think that there, is, there comes a point where that. when somebody is invited to a campus yeah. and the person has a history of not being invested in any type of intellectual debate. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're not open to it. Then what's the point in going into that situation in good faith? And so students yeah. are very savvy to it. So they respond in kind. And see, basically- that, Yeah, that's very yeah. interesting because see what you're describing is something where I feel like what I've been exposed to as sort of a mainstream left person is not what's accurate. What I'm so this, there's a lot of propaganda that's basically taking that situation, mislabeling it as something it isn't, which is basically saying, oh, we don't want to hear alternative viewpoints instead of explaining it the way you just explained it, and then applying it towards college students in general, saying basically all these Gen Z kids, they don't, they're just indoctrinated with liberal stuff and they don't want to hear anything you know they're just 
completely closed minded. And that's dangerous. And that's kind of why I was trying to explain why I try not to engage in the trans thing, because I feel like any of this stuff gets used and twisted in yeah. a way that's I, I don't well, know. It, well, and it can. And, and so, because it's a very nuanced conversation. So let's go back right. to that, that Dusty Goltz um, example that I gave to you. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I teach in my classes is that people of color are have historically been left out of mass media. So you look at a show like Friends or the original airing of Sex in the City, and they're living in a New York and a Manhattan that is almost exclusively white, right? Yeah. And that is problematic. So, uh, yeah. so critical theory then comes in at an important place to shed light on that and say, okay, we need a politics of inclusion. And I think that's a good productive use of critical theory. I think it becomes something completely different when you're looking at say like a white gay guy who's delivering his personal narrative about almost being gay bashed and saying well why aren't you accounting for your whiteness more in this situation then he ends up telling another story right and and that's not really what that's just weird it it is weird it is weird and and the same thing with um i think we we live in very binary terms where mm-hmm. you are like on trans issues for us to even engage in this dialogue where we're saying, okay, we get it with not only women menstruate, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, l- let's also consider some of the implications of that critique where you're right there are portions of the audio that could be taken out of context and that could be weaponized and used against us. And that is, um, I think that's a tactic that has been most used by people on the right, but people on the left are doing it now as well, which probably explains your frustration with cancel culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I think my mouth is crooked. Did I have a stroke? You see that? Oh, it's that like my mouth is broken. Maybe I had a stroke on the show. Very, very big. Yeah, my voice changed. That was weird. That is weird. Could you say anything else? What do you think of uh, Black Lives Matter? Do you have a car? <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> oh, I've always said, what do you think of Black Lives Matter? Oh, I love sucking pussy, baby. <laughs> So what are you doing tonight? <laughs> more, more. No, that was a question you didn't answer him. Oh, what am I doing tonight? I don't know. I'm going to, I've been feeling under the weather. I'm going to have some of my berry medley Ricola right here, our Ricola. So you want to get together tonight? So you want to get together tonight? <laughs> what is he saying? Sorry, I had it on, I hate when I do that. So you want to get together tonight? So you want to get together Hang on, let me turn off the warp. Can you please edit and then fi- end it? Yeah. Do you want to get together tonight? Do I want to get the what tonight? Do you want to get together tonight? Oh, to the- oh yeah, baby. How big are you? That sounds great. Do you want me to pick you up? Yeah, it's been eight years, and I would love you. I'd love you to pick me up in your car and then pick me up. Well, let's get together then. Okay, well... Are you going to come get me? I'm uh, six foot two and 220 pounds. 
Okay, good. Um, is that kind of like a flower in your pocket so I know who you'll be? Uh, how big are you? Uh, how big are you? So you got nice nipples. Oh, how big oh. am I? Yeah. 13 inches. 13 oh. inches. Oh, wow. 13 inches, 14. Is that be when you're hard or not? Is that me at the beginning of that clip? I think it's Debbie. Could be you. Yeah, I think that's me. Actually, I have I can find the early I can play the earlier. Let's see. Because they changed a lot of things. Oh no, that's Debbie. Because oh, they changed like a, a lot of where, things. What was that game where they used to do that? Was it name that tune where you're like They'd only play a little bit and then. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we could play like name that film. Because they changed okay. a lot of things. Write a poem, honey. Yes, name I do. A dildo is a long rectangular tube. I'm so mentally ill. is leaking down the side of my chiffon dress, and I need to get this backpack um, back. And um, so I'm wondering if maybe you can help me find the. The backpack, okay. it has my supplies and work clothes and my colostomy bag, and I think okay. some depends. So do you think that you will ever, mm. last last question, then we'll close mm. up. Do you think that you'll ever go back, well, not go back, do you ever think that Cheryl and Debbie will come back for an episode? I have no idea. I don't know. I think, to be honest, I think it's probably more, I, I think Debbie's done well for an episode like debbie she would come on with just me and her i don't think that debbie would come on with cheryl ever again really yeah hmm i don't think so interesting they, uh, they were yeah they i don't i don't want to get you know yeah yeah let's not do that yeah. let's not go down that uh natalie is a bigger girl, she's a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I okay, mean, Cheryl's well, basically just oh. done a really long time now, so and I don't know if it'll ever end. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 and hope. I think like a lot of it is just the two of us together create such bad stuff, you know, <laughs> through no fault of either of us, but just like it. Gets oh yeah, fun. through no fault right. of either of you. No, it doesn't I mean, come from your mind, sir. Right. It's just the two of us together. It's not you. Well, you encourage. Fun. You encourage it just, the it just darkness. Happened. You usher out the it darkness from one another. And I, I will. Yeah. I, I love. I, I always say. I will say this. I will say this. That as I was watching, there is a darkness to Jackass, and okay. and so you know, Steve-O had all of those drug problems, and then they had the one guy who died, Ryan Dunn, who died in the car accident, and. Yeah. And the other guy. I love Bam how you Margera. talk about this. Like I'm supposed to know what you're talking about because I don't. Well, know. you should definitely check it out because John Waters has a big thing for Jackass, okay. and and uh, and that guy Spike Jones is one of the directors mm -hmm. for all the Jackass content. And, oh, and so the reason why I say this is because that there is something about leaning into darkness, right? That that is appealing and that's interesting and the stuff that you're not supposed to do and not supposed to talk about. And there is a difference between P 
people who lean into that darkness and say things to get a rise and are just playing with fire, not because they believe mm-hmm. in it, but in a John Waters type of way. Yeah. And uh, and it's just really sad. I mean, it goes to what we were speaking about with um, with uh, so, some of the earliest avenues for trans people, like John Waters films, and mm-hmm. you know, at least in at least in the media, where the, it's very difficult to have these conversations because people will want to put you in one category or right. the other, and what that does is it shuts things down. And some things need to be shut down. I think like if there's one overriding theme of what our time, aside from narcissism, which is huge, I've been talking about that, um, is the idea of actions speak louder than words. You know, it's like, let's look at people, judge them by their actions. What their their words are are valid and that means something. But, you know, what somebody does has a lot more impact than what they say in a lot, a lot of cases, you know? So when somebody's, you know, saying the right things, but then they have an Instagram feed where all they do is basically they're, what they're doing by showing their, how hot they are is that all that matters is, you know, you're outside and your inside doesn't matter, but at the same time, they're saying the right things. Then, you know, I I don't know. I know. I get what you're saying. Sarah Silverman's a perfect example of this, right? Where Sarah Silverman, the earliest part of her career, uh, she had all these jokes that were quote unquote racist jokes. And Mm -hmm. she was like, no, these aren't racist jokes. They're jokes about racism where I'm playing this character, right? Mm -hmm. And now people have really come out on the other side and realized where Sarah Silverman's heart is, where her politics reside and stuff. But it, it's um, it's unfortunate that we don't give people more room to that we don't allow much room for nuance when it right. comes to some yeah. of these issues. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Madge. And mm-hmm. I guess the point of all of this was to uh, I just want to start podcasting again. And the reason why I brought you on was because I thought, okay, I'm going to do an old school podcast, but then at the end of it, I'm going to have this boring conversation about why I come back to podcasting and then run away and come back and run away. Mm -hmm. And I figured that this would be a more interesting way to have the conversation. That's true. But also, can I have your number and let me call my my manager and I, Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Madge. Have a have a wonderful week. You, you too. Bye, honey. Squish Sam. Bye, honey.